I'm just going to pray briefly uh, for us. Lord, I needed you this week in preparing this sermon, and I certainly need you now. I just pray that you would cloak me in your spirit and just give me wisdom to preach this message, Lord. And I pray that you would just, as Adam said, soften our hearts and just give us open hearts and minds to receive what you have written for us here in First Peter. Thank you, Lord, for gathering us together this week, and I just pray that you would just be with us and be upon us in your spirit. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, um, so good morning everyone. I hope you all had a very good week. Um, so the question of identity is a very important one. One, or the question of who I am and identity is a very important one. It's, it's one everyone I'm sure has asked themselves every now and again in the mirror. But how do we know who we really are? So for example, I work in Medtronic for now, but I don't intend to work there forever. I could quit or I could be touch wood, I could be fired. So it's not a firm foundation to base my whole identity off of. But while I am still working there, I have responsibilities. I still have a job to do. It's, it's, it is still part of my identity, but it's not my, my primary part. So just as we come to First Peter, as we come to this passage, I would like you to have three questions just kind of brewing in the back of your mind. So who am I? How do I know this and what basis am I standing on? So the reason I know I work for Metronic is because they pay my wages every week um, for now. And what do I do in response? So again, in my case, I do my job. So verse one, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So Peter here urges these believers to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander in wake of the living hope that he has reminded them of in the first chapter continually. So in case you've missed a couple of Sundays or are new this week, the hope that Peter is talking about is the imperishable salvation that has been kept in heaven for each and every one of these people he's writing to, which has been purchased for them by the blood of Jesus Christ. So these sins that he lists out, they're not just a random list of sins, but a list of sins that you make in community in response to other people. So for example, you can't really be hypocritical to yourself or slanderous against yourself unless you're a little disturbed. There are also sins that don't correspond with the reality that he's laid out for them. It's why be envious of someone when you have the kingdom of heaven? So he states in chapter 1 that we are born again of an imperishable seed through the word of God and that we are to be holy because God is holy. So these people should put away all of these behaviors because they are beneath them. They're not godly. They're not holy behaviors to, to maintain. So verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So Peter here tells them, these people, and us to long for pure spiritual milk like newborn infants. And we can see that Peter, again, he picks back up on this born-again imagery that he's laid out. But if we delve a little deeper into this image, we can get a sense of what this longing should really look like. So the first thing to know is the noun Peter uses. He, we're not just mere followers of God or servants of God or, you know, we're not just... It, it's not like any religion of, of the day. It's not the same kind of relationship. He tells us that we are children of God, that we're newborn babies, that we're infants of God. So the cow 
beautiful an image is that, that the distance, the other faiths and other religions and the distance that we had with God, that barrier that sin put between us, it's no longer there. And Peter describes a relation of intimacy between us and God that's only possible through the precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. So he tells us to long for spiritual milk, that by it we may grow up into salvation. So again, to bring it back to the infant metaphor that Peter lays out, we are to long for pure spiritual milk. So for anyone who has children, the idea of a baby yearning for milk won't be a difficult one to imagine, I'm sure. But for those who haven't had kids, I'll just briefly paint the picture for you. When a newborn is hungry, the only thing that it can take is its mother's milk. The milk is all the nutrients a baby needs to grow up and to be healthy and to be strong. But the baby needs to be fed, and it will cry and cry and cry and cry until it gets it. So as the mother feeds um, the child, the psychological connection grows between the mother and the child. It, studies show that there is just that kind of a bond that is, that is formed. And in doing so, the mother also delights in feeding her child. And so it is the same for God when we are fed by spiritual milk. Our, con our connection to him grows and strengthens. And he delights in us doing so. This milk that Peter is referring to, this, um, this milk that Peter is referring to is the imperishable, living, abiding word of God that he highlights again in chapter one. So we need to long for the word of God like newborn infants, never being satisfied until we have it and just always wanting more. It is everything we need to grow up and to be healthy and to be strong in the faith. And it is by it, by the word, by the living, abiding word that we were born of that we will grow into this salvation, as Peter mentions in the latter half of verse two. So initially reading um, this verse, I was a little put off growing into salvation. It's like, that doesn't sound right. Our modern mainstream understanding of salvation basically boils down to once we just accept Christ and you accept Christ into your heart, we're saved and that's it. And that's very, very true. But Peter here has a much richer understanding of salvation than the immediate one that we've come to know. And to, to get a grasp of what he means by this salvation and, and how we grow into it, we have to go back to the living hope that he reminds us of in chapter 1. So in chapter 1 he states that this salvation that he's talking about is being kept in heaven for us in verse 4. We are being guarded through faith for this salvation, and this salvation will be revealed for us in the last time. And this salvation is also the outcome of the faith that we have, and it's the final salvation of our souls. So this is a really multi-layered understanding of salvation. There's the past, in that we initially have faith in Christ, and we're justified. Then a present aspect of it, where we grow and we yearn and we indulge in this spiritual milk and are being transformed to the image of God, so like sanctification. And then the final aspect is when Christ finally returns and our soul is saved. So he focuses on the present aspect of our salvation, which we'll grow towards. So the word of God is the instrument, again, in which we grow. It is the means of which we were initially once born again, as Peter states in verse 23 of chapter 1. And it is our means of spiritual growth. So now that we know that the Bible is the spiritual milk, I would like to briefly highlight what happens when we don't strive for it, and we don't yearn for it like we should. 
So a few weeks ago I had COVID and I didn't feel great for the first two days, but by the third day I was starting to come around. I was just feeling a little bit, a little bit sick, but it was fine. But I felt lazy, really lazy. And I had the Bible in the sitting room and it was just staring at me. I knew I should read it, but I was really lazy and I didn't want to. I, didn't, I, just, I don't know, I felt distant. I felt it judging me and just begging me to be read. I knew I had to read it, but just couldn't be bothered, I suppose. But kind of as that pattern continued, I felt a strange cloud in my mind. I almost felt like more childish and more immature. I, I don't know, it was a very weird sensation. I didn't feel quite m myself, I guess. I felt very off. But by the grace of God, I found my way back to it and finally began to feel a sense of normalcy return to me again. This is a small example, but a significant one. If we're not fed by the word of God continually and constantly like we should be, then we'll be fed by the junk food of the world. It might seem okay at the time that you, you put it off for a couple of days, it's fine. But there is a gradual effect. And we can see this in, again in, in children, where if you, if you feed a kid chocolate all the time, he'll keep eating it and he's going to really enjoy it. But eventually he's going to get sick. He's going to be malnourished. And so it's the same in us. If we're not primarily fed by the word of God, we're going to get sick. We're going to be spiritually malnourished. We're not going to be growing towards this salvation. We're going to be spiritually stagnant if we don't, if we don't yearn for it. We'll fall back into our, any, our old worldly ways and sinful attitudes will come back. And we'll be much, much worse off. Our Lord himself recognized the primacy of the word of God as he suffered trials and temptations in the, in the desert in Matthew chapter 4, literally choosing the word of God over food when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we are children of God whose desire should be for the Bible. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter here asks a rhetorical question to his audience, perhaps with the intention to get them to reflect on their own spiritual desire and, and yearning. Have they tasted that the Lord is good? Do they yearn for him as they should, as he's revealed in his word? So verse 4 and 5. These are, are quite long. So, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So as I said, there's a lot contained in those verses. It's very meaty. So I just want to go through them bit by bit. So as you come to him, so Peter is referring to Jesus and our growth towards him, which is through our growing and loving knowledge of the word of God. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So Peter here refers to Jesus as, a um, as this living stone. And this is a reference to a prophecy in a passage in Isaiah 28, a passage Peter goes on to quote in the following verses. So we'll get into the deeper meaning of the passage soon, but for now, let's just take this verse. Very clearly, as we, as we know, Jesus was rejected by men, but again, in God's eyes, was chosen and precious. Something um, Matthew accounts for, 
or sorry, something Peter highlights in chapter 1, and something Matthew accounts for in the third chapter of his gospel when Jesus was baptized. So again, in Matthew 3.17, it says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So he tells them and us that we are like Christ, and we too, each of us here in this room, are like living stones, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, found to be chosen and precious, which God proves by sending his beloved Son, who is chosen and precious to him, to die in our place for our trespasses. But when we think of living stones, it's a bit of a contradiction. A stone is not living, yet we are living stones. So it's a bit strange. But this is because, again, each and every one of us were once spiritually dead, made alive by God through Christ. And through the continual reading of the word, we are renewed. We living stones, again, each of us, this, this room, are being built up to be a spiritual house a holy priesthood. We, all of us, are a holy priesthood, members of this holy priesthood of God. This understanding of the church is lost on us in 21st century Ireland. We reserve the role of priests to the monks and to the bishops and to the pastors of the church, to the holy people, the people that take it a little bit more seriously than the others. But Peter here tells us that we're all holy priests of the church. Me in Metronic, Lulu in Homestead, and Natalie in Evergreen. Each one of us, priests of the church of Jesus Christ, serving where God has placed each and every one of us individually. And these spiritual sacrifices that he mentions are the acts of obedience we make and do. They can only be acceptable to God through Jesus because of his redemptive death on the cross. So Peter now goes on to elaborate on the living stone image from Isaiah 28. So verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So in the context of the passage that Peter is citing and quoting, God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah against the land of Ephraim whose priesthood was depraved and was worshipping false gods and idols. So God, in response, is laying a cornerstone in Zion, or Jerusalem, that will be a very sure foundation. This cornerstone, this foundation that God lays down, is yet again Jesus Christ. And if we believe in him, we will not be put to shame. So not only is Jesus a living stone, like the rest of us, as Peter highlights, he is the cornerstone in which all living stones come and the foundation in which the spiritual house that is this church is built up from in that he is the high priest and in that without him there is no church or gospel to preach or to save us. So verse 7 and verse 8. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter here tells us that we have honor for our belief in Christ and then goes on to quote 
two Old Testament passages, Psalm 118, verses 22, and Isaiah 8, verse 14. Uh, He does this to make the point that the Jewish religious leaders who rejected Jesus have rejected the very foundation of their faith and that they and anyone else who rejects Christ will ultimately pay the price, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But if we go back again to Matthew's Gospel, we will find Jesus gives a very clear explanation to these verses. So could you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, verses 42 to 44? This stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls in this stone will be be broken to pieces. And when it falls in anyone, it will crush him. Israel has rejected Christ, the cornerstone, and the kingdom of heaven has been taken away from them and given to a people producing its fruits a people who have honor because of their faith in Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may... Sorry. have forgotten to type out that part of the verse. (laughs) That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once we were not a people, and I look around the room and I see people from different places, different cultures, different interests, different histories, and I don't see a lot in common. But now, through the saving work of Jesus Christ and the church that he's created, we are now brothers and sisters, all of us, because we have been adopted into the family of God because of that. Without Jesus, there isn't any adoption because there is no family. Without Jesus, there is no mercy, because there is no justice. There is no wrath satisfied in the cross. There is no love. So what do we do with that that in mind? We have to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into into his marvelous light. We have to preach the word of God. We have to share it. 
in everywhere that God has put us in, every place that God has put us in. We have to minister. We have to occupy the role of priesthood efficiently and responsibly. We, have, we are representatives of God. We are the go-to Christian in Metronic or Evergreen or Home Instead. That's, that's our job. We are the image of Christ in many ways to people who don't know him. We have to long for the same milk. We have to long for the same hope. And we have to all stand on the same foundation. So now to bring it, to bring it back to those three initial questions. So who am I or who are you or who are we? We are children of God, infants of God. We are living stones. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a people for his own possession. We, and now we know, we know the foundation in which all of this is built off of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, which we will celebrate next week. A firm foundation, an unchanging foundation. It won't change. It's, it's set in place. As Jesus said, it is finished. So either you reject Jesus like the Israelites did and suffer the consequences, or you accept him and the hope he brings and the identity that he gives. Jesus gives us identity, no one else. And we need to take that with us everywhere we go. Like I, like I mentioned before, we can't just be Christians on Sunday or with other Christian people because that's just simply not true. It's not a job you clock in and clock out of. It's your race. I'll say that again. It is your race. We are a chosen race. So how are we going to live like this is our identity and he is our foundation? Well, Peter gives two last exhortations in verse 11 and 12, which answer that question. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. He urges us to abstain from sinful worldly passions which wage war against our souls. So to bring it back again to what I said earlier, we don't build up a diet of chocolate. We yearn for that long spiritual milk. We yearn for that salvation. We yearn to be like Christ and we seek our cornerstone. And verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We obey and are faithful where God has put us in. Again, we're examples of Christians. We are members of this priesthood everywhere we go. So we have to conduct ourselves honorably for God's sake and for our own. So we put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We yearn for the spiritual milk to help us occupy that role of local priest all the more efficiently so that when the time of persecution comes, as it has for many today and as it did for the people that Peter is writing to, they will all see our good deeds and some will glorify God and believe in his Christ, his cornerstone on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the church that you've given us and the firm foundation in which it's built on and the word that you give us to sustain and nourish all of us. 
I pray that you could just give us a heart that longs to be with you and that longs for your word and just give us a sense of awareness that each and every one of us are members of your priesthood wherever we go and that with that comes responsibility. Lord, I thank you for this reality and that it's been set in stone, that it will be set in stone next week as we celebrate it. In your name I pray, amen.